This episode of Educate contains references to violence and suicide, which some listeners may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. retired secondary school head teacher, a union secretary, an activist for equality, diversity and educational opportunity for all. You are one of Stonewall's trans advisory group member advisors, you are former chair of Lancashire LGBT and you are the vice chair of hospice trustees, college governor and the list goes on. Um, I think we can actually certainly say that you are an icon. Um, so I want to welcome to the Educate Classroom, Carolyn Mercer. Hi Katie. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining. I am utterly so grateful to have you on to educate um so i just kind of want to hand over to you really and go who are you carolyn and uh please could you tell me about yourself <laughs> we will start off uh with the end of who am i uh, i'm me I, I go through uh, a whole variety of things as you've indicated i've done a number of jobs i tend to start off by saying that from the age of three i knew that i was different i looked at other children and they didn't appear to be how i felt mm -hmm. um, i knew that people were punished for being like me i knew that they were called names i knew that religion said that it was wrong right so one of the things that i say about myself is that I'm Carolyn, I'm 73, and I'm left-handed. <laughs> All of those things are related to being left-handed. Okay. We use the word sinister, and that's Latin for left. Uh, we use gauche, which is French for left. The devil is thought to sit on your left shoulder. Have you ever wondered why we shake hands with our right hand? No, never. To show you don't have a weapon in it. And of course, left-handed people could shake hands with their right hand and stab you with their left hand. Interesting theory. Um, but certainly left-handed people are, have been punished. Um, it, it's thought that King George, for example, with the stammer, uh, was caused by him being stopped being left-handed. So all of those things, in, in terms of my history, I left school at 16 with five GCSE equivalents went to work in the building trade. My proudest achievement was being able to carry uh, a 50 kilogram bag of cement, two of them, one on each shoulder. That's 100 um, kilograms. It's 100 kilograms, yeah, 16 stone. Um, oh my goodness, that's impressive. <laughs> uh, stupid. Um, you must have had a, um, sore, a sore upper torso after that. <laughs> uh, no, not at all, no. Um, and at the age of 19, I blagged my way into teacher training college, still with only five GCSEs. Mm -hmm. uh, I studied maths and divinity on the basis that if I couldn't calculate the answer, I could pray. Um, right. And trained to be a primary teacher. Just before my final teaching practice, I was asked by one of my lecturers 
they worked part-time at a local school, but they were secondary school, but they were short of maths teachers. Would I go into the secondary school? Oh, yeah, no problem. Um, <laughs> I went into the secondary school on my final practice. They asked me to stay uh, by the age of 26, still a non-graduate and no A-levels. I became head of a maths department in Halifax. Wow. I did an up university degree, took a year off to do a master's degree. And at the age of 37, I was appointed the then youngest head teacher of a comprehensive school in Lancashire, uh, never having taught in a comprehensive school before. So that's a professional career summed up in uh, brief terms. Uh, but of course, in the interim, also from the age of three, four, mm -hmm. um, I was struggling with my gender and identified sex. Yeah. Um, and it came to a head uh, when I was 17, 18. Uh, by chance, uh, I, I was really struggling and I truanted from my day release at college studying to be a quantity surveyor and my vicar happened to come round to the house to deliver something for my my mum as it happened who wasn't in and I let him into the house and we started talking and he was the first person that I'd spoken to uh, about my gender issues mm -hmm. he then knew uh, through his work um, a psychiatrist at a mental hospital happened to be Mm -hmm. And I went to see him. He then uh, referred me to NHS doctors at uh, a hospital in Blackburn, or as they say locally, Blackburn. <laughs> Blackburn. Um, Blackburn. <laughs> and uh, I knew what the treatment was. Um, and the treatment involved being strapped to a wooden chair, uh, electrodes soaked in salt water attached to my arm. Uh, the room was completely dark except for a light shining over my shoulder and it projected pictures of women uh, clothed uh, onto the wall and uh, there will be a picture and then another picture then another picture and then they throw the switch and it electrocuted me causing pain my hand went up in the air uh, of course my arm didn't because it was strapped to the chair um, and that went on uh, each session um they asked me uh, as i was blinking back the tears why are you crying because and of course that's what they wanted to do yeah um, and i'm laughing about it now but for the next 40 years i used to physically shiver and shake uh, the very thought of it and i thought about it a lot you were 17 when you went under conversion therapy Okay. 17, 18, yes. 17, 18. How, how, how many sessions did you have to undergo? Uh, there were a number of them. And then fortunately, um, the doctors moved to Manchester and they asked me if I wanted to continue uh, even more sessions. Uh, and I said, no, no I, I, I think I'm OK now. Uh, and to a degree, I did think I was OK um but as exhibit a it doesn't work as well as being barbaric and of course i i, I talk about i didn't just survive i succeeded surviving was a, a close run thing i attempted suicide and other people have died through this uh, treatment and, and 
it's been banned for a while uh, by the NHS. The conversion therapy that takes place now it is not that sort of conversion or aversion therapy uh, where you're intended to associate pain uh, or, or discomfort with uh, something you want to, to do. Through that treatment, learned to hate myself uh, because if a key part of my identity was so wrong that I had to be treated in that way, then I must be wrong. And I went into teaching uh, because I needed to justify my existence. And that was to give to people, to make it better for kids like I used to be. Yeah, um, I hated school and school hated me when I was there and it wasn't just down to gender. I think school is a really tough place. I mean, there's so many things about the school system, I think. Yes. I, I'm only speaking from like the British education system's perspective, yes. but anyone that stands out or feels that they are um, different, they usually get a really tough time. And especially <laughs> we're looking back into when you were a little one at school and growing up in that environment that's really tough because people weren't as accepting and as tolerant mm. so what was that like uh, but as a child I wasn't tolerant I made fun of other people um, to a degree I was a bully um, I, I did all the blokey sports boxing rugby um, and also fist fighting probably had a fist fight um, every week at school. Every week? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I couldn't let anyone think in their wildest imaginings that I was uh, a sissy, effeminate, um, or as I wanted to be, female. Yeah, of course. And they didn't think that. So you, you did a very good job of kind of outwardly conveying masculinity. Oh, yes. Wow. And of course, that produce the dysphoria yeah. because how I saw myself my inner identity was increasingly at variance with what I projected to other people what other people saw and frankly what other people praised uh, and the more I was praised the more I was in myself screaming out to them yes it's all right praising what you see but you wouldn't be praising the real person, would you? No. And the more successful I was, the more problematic that became for me. Yeah, absolutely. So in your opinion, so what what is, for, for educate listeners, what is gender dysphoria? Um, some people talk about dysmorphia rather than dysphoria. Right. Uh, some people are unhappy with their bodies rather right. than their feelings so dysmorphia uh, gender dysphoria mm -hmm. is looking at how you identify yourself and mm -hmm. the mismatch with what you project to other people right and that produces an inner tension and that becomes a, a psychological condition it's not an illness um but it is a psychological condition that needs to be resolved. Mm -hmm. Now, some people think that through conversion therapy, you can resolve that, whether it's gender dysphoria or being gay, bisexual, lesbian. Mm -hmm. You can't. 
you can suppress behaviors, you can't change me. So for example, if I'd have been stopped from using my left hand, I could function with my right hand, but mm-hmm. that wouldn't stop me from being naturally left-handed. And yeah. that tension inside has caused all sorts of problems for people. Um, fortunately, I was just on the cusp of that and they allowed me to use my left hand. They criticized me a lot for using my left hand, but uh, they didn't stop me using my left hand. And that natural part of you is important. I I mean, I talk about um, being natural, being normal, because people would say to trans history people like myself, well, you're not normal, you're not natural. Well, listen, pal, and I don't usually say pal, but listen, pal. Normal is defined mathematically as plus or minus three standard deviations from the mean. That covers 99.7% of the population. So I am normal. Natural. My hair isn't naturally this colour, although during lockdown it's going that way. I wear glasses for reading. Is that natural? I wear clothes. Is that natural? I've got an artificial hip. Is that natural? Well, natural enough. And it allows me to help myself and help other people. So I'm normal, I'm natural. Average, probably not. Average height, average weight, all sorts of things. I will accept I'm not average in a number of ways, but I am normal and I am natural. It's it's wonderful how articulate you are. Every time I listen to you do anything, I'm always just mesmerized and I I feel like you should narrate, I don't know, everybody's lives. So other than my own. Oh. I want to sort of talk about going into and, and taking up space as a head teacher. Mm-hmm. I know from doing my research that you've had run-ins, well, you've had three run-ins with uh the press. So could you talk a little bit about that and kind of how that all came about? Um because I think they happened at different points along your journey, right? They, they certainly did. I, I'm probably one of the, the few, if not only, uh, person who has been outed in the national press three times. Um, the first two were almost horrendous. Um, some would qualify them as, so it's the third time that was much better. So the first time was in 1994. That tension had built up to the extent that I couldn't see myself continuing unless I aligned my gender identity with my gender expression, which some people call transition. I I tend not to use that. Right. Okay. So building up in 1994, I shared my aspirations with my senior colleagues at school Mm -hmm. and uh, one a member of staff, um, maybe not a senior colleague, but one member of staff leaked it to a local stringer reporter who then fed it through to the national papers. Uh, I'd taken some time off work uh, to make a decision whether to continue to live my life in a male role or to be more true to myself. In my terms, I decided because the school was really suffering, my family was suffering, that, and partly because of that national publicity, uh, that I would continue in a male role for the foreseeable future. 
uh, at which point I was suspended by the local education authority. It rewinds slightly to the national publicity. A number of uh, reporters arrived on my doorstep and I was very clear that I didn't, you know, they offered money. I didn't want to sell my story. I didn't want to tell my story. It was for me and my family. But one photographer from the Daily Star turned up on my doorstep with a camera slung around his neck and said that, you know, I, I know there's an issue. Can we take a photograph? I'll, I'll make you look really pretty. Uh, no, hang on. You know, rugby prop forward, uh, still in a male uh, role predominantly. So I said, no, it, it's for me and my family. I don't want any publicity. Thank you very much. And he said, oh, thank you. And left. Right. Unbeknown to me, he'd actually taken a photograph on my doorstep. Regrettably, <laughs> I'd just come out from the kitchen to answer the door. I had a tea towel over one arm and an upright courgette in my other hand. So the photograph in the star looked, yeah, as I say, you have to laugh now. But of course, um, even going out of the house, I made a complaint to the Post Complaints uh, Council. Yeah. Um, they said, because you are a head teacher, um, difficult, but it is public interest. No, it's not public interest unless you make it so. Uh, I was suspended. Uh, I actually remained on suspension for three to four months. I was then uh, brought to um, a tribunal and trumped up charges put against me, all of which were dismissed. But my staff had been asked not only for uh, comments from them uh, identified, they'd been asked for anonymous comments as well, uh, which they attempted to use at the hearing. Uh, I got, I was representing myself, I'm a former union officer amongst other things. Um, and I wanted the governors to see that Whatever difficulties I'd had, um, I was still capable of leading the school. And I went back to school after everything was dismissed, uh, but I was asked not to talk about what had happened. So I couldn't explain to people what had happened at all. Yeah. And I went back and I remember very clearly my first assembly. Um, I've never seen as many staff in an assembly. Um, I think they were expecting the pupils to revolt, but they didn't. Um, and, and there weren't any issues. I told the staff, you know, look, if there are any issues, I know there's all sorts of rumours circulating. If there are any issues, tell me. And there was one. Um, boy in a science lesson said he was going to see the tranny um, and okay. when he came to my office I sat him down and said I, I understand that, that you said you were going to see the tranny what does that mean um, 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 tran tran transvestite I said well I'm not transvestite but even if I were why would you use that as an offensive comment somebody I'm so sorry, sir. Um, and that was the only issue. It's still an issue, isn't it? But it was a learning opportunity for him, and, and that's how I dealt with it. It's very respectful that you handled it with such grace, but I guess that's also testament to your ability to be a fantastic leader. I mean, you don't <laughs> you don't become a head teacher. Um, what was it? Were you thirty seven? Were you thirty seven? Yeah, you don't become a head teacher at thirty seven. Uh, 
without having those leadership skills. So in your own right, it's just... I, I, I'm not sure about that, but... Uh, I'm sure I, about I, that. Yeah. <laughs> it was a wonderful job. I enjoyed it, uh, despite uh, the issues that, that I just recounted to you. The yeah. school was oversubscribed every year that I was there. And, and I remember talking with um, an NHS group and it happened that I didn't know at the time, the daughter of one of my deputy heads was one of the people uh, in the audience. Right. And at the question time at the end, she said, look, my dad tells you me how wonderful you are, how popular you are, how all the pupils, parents and community really like you. If you had been your natural self, how would it have been better? To which I replied simply, I could have been happy. Um, would I have been as successful? I don't know, because uh, I worked every hour to try to suppress some of the thoughts inside me. I had to, as I said earlier, justify my existence. Uh, and that was by helping other people. If you hate yourself, it's easy to like everyone else. That breaks my heart. That breaks. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, hey, look, I didn't just survive. I succeeded. I've been very, very lucky. Uh, and as I tell people, I'm a tough old bird. I mean, I'm obsessed with you. <laughs> I think that's great. That, that's of concern. <laughs> yeah, it is. So in terms of your your next run in with the press then, so... Next time uh, was in 2002 when I did align my gender presentation with my gender identity. Right. Uh, and again, I wanted to do it quietly. It was nobody else's business. The same reporter who had run the story in 94, ran it again. And once more, I was offered money for the story, which I turned down. But of course, the, the local paper, local radio station and national newspapers ran the story again in 2002. Headmaster becomes headmistress after sex change operation. That sort of headline. And of course, by that time, there was the internet. Uh, in 1994 we didn't have an internet and therefore it wasn't uh, on social media but this time it was so that was 2002 and I who is this journalist honestly let's oh, oh. <laughs> he's not the only one <laughs> oh. they they get paid for stories so whatever story there's no morality to it yeah not not ideal not ideal <laughs> third time was much more positive and happened uh, through serendipity, which is one of my favourite words. I like serendipity. I was doing a talk, uh, Transgender Day of Remembrance for a local uh, health, sexual health charity, uh, which also does LGBT plus work. And um, I found out at the end that there was a reporter present uh, who happened to be an excellent reporter. Uh, fortunately, and she did a, a wonderful front page piece for the local paper, which again was picked up nationally, and also a double inside spread. So there were three pages of me. Thank you. Oh, um, we love to see it. <laughs> um, she complied with the NUJ's guidance on dealing with trans issues, so there was no mention of my previous name my previous gender um, and it came across accurately but two three days later there was another 
double inside spread, a comment that the paper had had from that article, right. from former pupils, uh, parents, um, every one of them was complimentary. Um, oh, that's great. That's so nice to hear. Yes, it does show how fair people can be. But there's one lovely story, and it, when I tell it, it I, I, I'm conscious that it almost catches in my throat. Um, I continued on the governing body of uh, Further and Higher Education College uh, after 2002. And it was in the September after I'd left school in the uh, August. And uh, as I was driving into the college, two of my former students, two fairly um, recalcitrant pupils, let's say, were coming out. And as I parked my car, they came back. One was hiding behind a pillar. Warren, come out, come out. Um, because it's important to me that I engage uh, with them. Um, I'm not going to skulk. I'm not going to hide. Mm -hmm. And one of the lads uh, came up to me. Uh, we started talking. I said, you know, what are you doing? The courses and so on. And then he said, why, why did you leave school? And I said, well, I thought in the circumstances it was probably the best thing to do. And... 16-year-old rough lad put his hand on my arm and said, we'd have looked after you, you know. Said, There's very little that affects me like that, but this does affect me. Uh, and it was just, just incredible. Um, oh, that is just so heartwarming. It is, yes. I can imagine after so many years, I guess it's so lovely to have people go yeah we're embracing you i'm close to two decades now in presenting in a way that i feel comfortable yeah i haven't had a single problem to my face not one i'm still in touch with 400 plus pupils i you know live a life as i do i mile and a half two miles from where i used to be head i bump into pupils and parents on a regular basis there hasn't been one problem. Well, that is, I think that's really refreshing to hear, to be honest, because yeah. I think... It's a real tribute to them. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, there's a lovely song way before your time by, uh, in this country, it was Alan Price, uh, who sang about Simon Smith and his amazing dancing bear. Right. And he talked about a boy uh, who has this dancing bear and they go around the country and, and you know, at fairs and so on. And there is a lovely line in there uh, which says how they had been accepted everywhere. Isn't it amazing how fair people can be? And that, that is what I've found. Um, certainly some of it has to come from you. You have to be willing to allow people to, to share and make mistakes from time to time. Yeah. Um, because if I meet somebody from a long time ago, they remember the presentation um, that they they saw then um, but it, it's a mistake if anybody uses the wrong gender and and this has been my rule uh, if somebody uses the wrong gender by mistake that's fine uh, we'll talk about it you use it deliberately. I will have you. I really will. <laughs> I'm not surprised. This is 100 kilograms on your shoulders. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Especially with the fist fighting, I'd run a mile. <laughs>
strong. It's it's so wonderful to hear about your experiences. And in terms of well, with educate, I guess the the aim of the podcast is to always speak with people who have an informed understanding about topics, um, often through lived experience. Um, so what I would love to do is, do you have any shout outs to um, any charities or organizations? I, I'm pleased, I, I don't like using the word proud, but pleased to be uh, associated with Stonewall. Stonewall talk about acceptance without exception, and, and that certainly is a driver for me. So whether it's to do with race, creed, colour, the fact that you have ginger hair or that you wear glasses or sticky out ears, um, you should be accepted for who you are. Mm. The treatment that I had when I was 17, 18 made me hate myself, which prevented me having positive emotions. I am still struggling with that 50 odd years on. The damage that that did, frankly, is irreparable. I, I, I don't think I'm going to get that back. I'm working at it still. I've yeah. been doing it for the last 20 years, but it, it's difficult, but I'm okay. But in terms of acceptance without exception, that's what we should be about. Our society was going in, in I think, the best way mm-hmm. up till two to three years ago. And suddenly there started to be a backlash, particularly about trans people. I think some people who identify as being trans or trans advocates or whatever made a mistake of not trying to explain. Um, So, for example, Mm -hmm. um, I I did a talk to a political group um, a couple of years ago now. And... uh, in the questions at the end, because I say to people, ask me any question, like, uh, I will deal with it. And he said, well, you're not a real woman, are you? Oh. And I said, well, no, 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 you have to deal with it. I have to deal with it. One, uh, well, how do you identify? Well, I'm a, a bloke. Okay. How do you know? Well, it's my chromosomes. When did you have them tested? Well, I haven't. But how do you know? <laughs> I've got a penis. Well, if in an accident you were to lose your penis, would that stop you being a man? Well, no. And you could slowly see it dawning on him. Hey, hang on. Yeah, how do I know? Crudely, some people say that that gender is between the ears and sex is between the legs. But Jermaine Greer said, and I think people should have engaged rather than just vilifying her comment that cutting off your penis doesn't make you a woman. I agree. So what does make you a woman? And and you run down that area. Define to me a woman. Well, a woman is an adult female. Define to me female. Mm. If we want a semantic discussion, I will engage with you. But remember that we're talking, disagreeing about definitions. We're yeah. not disagreeing about my identity. My identity is mine. You want to talk about vocabulary, a semantic discussion, I'll have one with you. But don't question my identity. Absolutely. And nobody should ever have their identity taken away from them. Um, No. It's just, yeah. So in terms of this is going out on International Women's Day, so to, to kind of draw from that, what 
does it mean to you to be a woman? I was thrilled three years ago, astonished in terms of surprise. Three years ago, I was asked to be a role model for International Women's Day locally. I told the organiser, look, I don't think I ought to be doing this. Uh, deputy head of mine said, how dare you be a role model for International Women's Day? You haven't been through the stuff that I've been through. And she was right, I haven't been through it. And I had, no, I didn't have to. I chose to be open about it, as I always am. But the organiser desperately wanted me to, to do it and um, also asked me to talk at their evaluation session rather than any other uh, of the, the role models. They asked me to do it again last year and again this year. So this Saturday, I will be part of a, a five-woman panel um, answering questions from young women uh, from the area. So International Women's Day uh, identifies that there is not yet sufficient positive action to achieve equality of opportunity for all young women. There are societal expectations placed upon them that it's easy to accept for them because kicking against slow, uh, which is a mixed metaphor, but kicking against the flow is, is quite difficult for many people. So it's important through my educational work, I wanted opportunities for uh, women and girls to, to be as good as, if not better, than, than for the men. And certainly in terms of my staff at school, uh, the majority of the best teachers were female. Um, however, teaching... Uh, especially in some of the, the so-called softer subjects, the humanities subjects, are viewed as being female uh, occupations. One of the real uh, boosts I got in that area was when a, my girls went to be an apprentice at BNFL and won top apprentice of the year. Uh, go girl. Love uh, that. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> And in terms of your time as a head teacher and obviously your work that you've done in education and you still continue to do, what, in your opinion, is something that needs to happen or maybe an alteration within the curriculums across the country? What, what needs to be done to ensure gender equality is ultimately achieved one day? Quite a big question. No, not really. Uh, and certainly a very important question. Um, without going into educational jargon too much, there, there are different curricula. Right. There is the formal curriculum, which is laid down what you teach and what you intend the pupil to learn mm -hmm. within maths and English and geography and so on, all of which are artificial divisions anyway, but nevertheless. There's also the informal curriculum. So the after-school clubs that you run, the sports teams that you run, and so on. So formal curriculum, informal curriculum. Most importantly is what is referred to as the hidden curriculum. Right. The hidden curriculum is how you teach. There's a, a song, it ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. And, and that's what gets results. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. And that is how we ensure that 
equality or I talk about equivalence or equity. Equivalence means equal value. Mm -hmm. Equality sometimes in some people's minds means being the same, being congruent. And um, there are 7 billion people on the planet and everyone is unique, every Mm -hmm. single one. So if somebody says to me, I'm different, I say, yeah, I am. I'm unique like you. And yet we share 99.99% of identical DNA. What joins us together is much more than what separates us. But it, it's how you do it. So you can have things built into the formal curriculum or the informal curriculum. But how you treat people, acceptance without exception, how you treat people is the key to us moving forward. I think that's just so important for sure. It's a real, real um, task, I think in order to kind of dispel gender stereotypes um, and to educate little ones. And then, you know, as they evolve into teenagers and then young adults, I think binary um, stereotypes of gender. Um, I don't know, I, I sort of sometimes even look back at my my sort of younger days and you do notice the stereotypes, don't you? You do. And it's- I, and and you, you, you take it in, uh, subconsciously and and unconsciously. Um, I I arrogantly wrote a new verse for John Lennon's Imagine. Imagine there's no gender. It's easy if you try. No trans, no gayness, no lesbian, no bi. Imagine all the people living life at ease. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. But if we, if we didn't have gender, we wouldn't have lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans. Hey, come on, we're yeah. people. What joins us together is much more important than what separates us. And it, it took me until university to actually understand this. Your sexuality is separate. Your gender is separate. And I think a lot of people see these things as quite confusing when actually... Yeah, um, one of the presentations I do, I try to get people to understand some of the the letters so you have l g b t q q i a 2 s plus i tend to talk about l g b and or t because mm-hmm. some t people are lesbian gay or sexual it's not the same gender identity and sexuality uh, are, are different but it is useful uh, perhaps to identify that there is an issue uh, that that collectively we may be better, we may have strength uh, yep. in in doing it together. Uh, but that that's produced a backlash, I think, yeah. um, that we still need to deal with. And in terms of obviously, you are a wonderful woman in your seventies. Um, I am in my 70s, yes. <laughs> we love it, we love it. Um, what advice would you give to somebody now who might be experiencing those same feelings that you once had? What, what are the kind of, have you got any, any moments um, that you can kind of draw inspiration from in your journey um, that you could pass on? Um, people have said to me, it wouldn't it have been easier for you if you had done this many years ago? And I genuinely, if that thought came into my mind, I push it out of my mind. There is no point in wishing to change the past because it's gone. Yeah. Uh, e- even the future 
the future doesn't exist yet. The moment is now. So it, it's what I do now that is important. Hopefully some of that is preparation for a future, but nevertheless, what I do now. But yeah. one of the things that I think I would encourage everyone to do, particularly young people, is learn to accept yourself, learn to like yourself, recognise that you are unique, but so is everybody else. Recognise that you share 99.99% of identical DNA with everybody on the planet. Uh, and, and come to terms with that. John Donne, uh, an English philosopher, talked about no man is an island entire of himself. Well, we are all islands, but if you think about the physical island, mm. they're joined to every other physical island. You just can't see beneath the sea. But were that to fracture, our world would come to an end. So humanity needs to be together to make our planet a better place. Without that, we're going to increase uh, wars, pestilence, and so on and so forth. The world is a better place if we accept without exception. I mean, I think that's the key phrase to take away from this conversation. I think it just encompasses so much of, I don't know, your, your inspiring story and your ethos. I think it's wonderful. And is there anything, because I know, um, we've we've done a charity shout out. But are there any petitions? Is there anything out there that you know we can all rally together in order to kind of start? Is there anything we can do practically at this point in time? <laughs> uh, certainly, on the Stonewall website, uh, there are um, words of advice on how people can become better allies or how to deal with themselves. There's lots of guidance available. Uh, which wasn't in my day, uh, and that is really good. Um, in terms of petitions, there was a petition which was circulated, uh, attracted over 100,000 signatures to ban conversion therapy. Um, the government is going to reply to that, interestingly enough, on Monday. Um, today, Stonewall launched a campaign to say that it's been a thousand days since the government promised to legislate to ban conversion therapy and nothing has happened. Right. So why? And then, as I say, suddenly this petition is being discussed on Monday. I'm hoping, because the minister has to reply to that discussion, mm -hmm. uh, I'm hoping that the minister will say we will include this in the... Queen's speech, uh, we will legislate to ban not just LGB conversion therapy, but T as well. Right. I'm concerned because when the Prime Minister spoke about it in July last year, he said it's uh, absolutely abhorrent to have conversion therapy. But he didn't just say conversion therapy, he said gay conversion therapy. I hope that was just clumsy um, because there will be an enormous outcry if he condemns people to hate themselves in the way that they condemned me to hate myself those years ago, uh, which is why I, I'm talking to people at the moment, not, not you, I'm talking with you because you very kindly asked me and I was impressed. Um, but I've been talking to uh, political parties, uh, talk, 
talking with uh, the House of Commons Petitions Committee. And today I, I've done um, a broadcast for uh, Channel 5 TV. Uh, it is important that we get this change through. And if by sticking my neck out or sticking my head on the block, I'm uh, effective in that, great. Wow, absolutely. I mean, you're a real, I don't know if the phrase, is it trailblazer when you're just a legend? And you're... Uh, you can't, <laughs> not a legend. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a friend's daughter who uh, at the, the social club attached to a local football club, Preston North End, which is my hometown, uh, is called Legends. Um, except she pronounces it legends. So were <laughs> I to be called a legend, I would repost. Yeah, legends. Yeah, I've got legends. <laughs> I am a legend. Thank you very much. Yes. Well, honestly, <laughs> Carolyn, it has been so, so informative, wonderful, and just such a pleasure to, to listen to your story. It, it has been a real pleasure for me as well, Katie. So many thanks for uh, asking me and also your approach um, and you uh, and your generation but you will change the world for the better thank you thank you so much take care and you too hope to speak again and you too i hope you've enjoyed today's episode of educate and have taken away lots of important lessons from carolyn's story if you've been affected by any of the topics discussed, please find links to organisations that can help you in the show notes. If you want to keep up to date with more episodes of Educate, please click on the subscribe button and also follow me on Instagram at educate underscore podcast so you can stay connected with the alternative classroom experience. Have a great week and happy International Women's Day. <laughs>